Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. It is part two of our series, No Offence Taken. Uh, Someone once said that the world is a beautiful place full of beautiful people waiting to be offended by something. (laughs) Have you noticed that? I don't know about you, but for me, it's remarkable how often and how easily people get offended today. I mean, you can't even have a joke with anyone anymore. I mean, I'm not saying the good old days were better than the present days, but there are certain elements of the good old days where you can have a joke and it was just a joke. You could even do a little bit of name calling and it wasn't offensive because it was just part of the culture and and part of the banter amongst friends. Now, while that is not all good, it wasn't all bad. I think one of the problems today is we're just so precious. And if we have a differing opinion on anything, it means you hate me. And that, brothers and sisters, has to change. And that has to start with us, the church. We need to be a little bit more sensitive to God and stronger and thicker skinned when it comes to things that come our way. I think of Jesus on the cross. He never got offended. He just took what He took and used it for good in every circumstance and situation. I remember one time when I put my seatbelt on in the car, the driver took offence with me because they thought I was implying that they were an unsafe driver. I won't mention whether it was a woman driver or a male driver because some of you will get offended. Are you with me today? So we're talking about offence. The truth is, being offended is inevitable. All of us will be offended from time to time. But here's the bit I want you to catch. Living offended is a choice. Being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. And so my subtitle today is simply this, choose to lose. Choose to lose. You see, we all have people in our world that rub us up the wrong way. We all have those people. We always have those difficult people in our world. It could be the guy that cut you off in traffic. Sorry about that. (laughs) It could be the know-it-all. No one likes a know-it-all. They seem to, you know those people, they just have an answer for everything. It could be the whinger. They complain about everything. It could be the compulsive liar. It could be the overbearing parent or leader. And if you, have, uh, if you say to me today that you have no one in your life like that, guess what? You are that person in everyone else's life. <laughs> the reality is we are called to love everyone. Yeah. We're called to love everyone. And some are easier to love than others. But if you're anything like me and you get frustrated with certain people, then hopefully today's message can help you as it's helped me in my preparation and throughout the many, many years I've been leading a church and been a Christian. Today, I wanna look at some of the things around dealing with difficult people. Remember, as I said last week, we have to make a decision. We have to decide, do you want to make a point or do you wanna make a difference? Do you wanna win an argument or do you wanna win people. 
That's what we have to settle throughout this series. Do we wanna win an argument? Do we wanna be right or do we wanna win people? Are you with me? And so we're gonna look at the Scriptures today. Turn with me if you would, or look on the screen to Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse 26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit, sorry, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate toward one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. When dealing with difficult people, I've got a few points this morning and I realise everything I'm about to share is a lot easier said than done. We have a passion for practice here at this church, but I realise you can't have a passion for practice without a good sense of God's Word. And you can't have a passion for practice without the Holy Spirit empowering you to do what otherwise we find really difficult to do. So here at this church, we are a Word-based church and we're a Spirit-based church. Why? Because we have a passion for practice. And I don't know how to put the Word of God into practice if you don't know it and you don't have the help of the Holy Spirit. So on that, let's pray. Father, we just pray that you help us to grasp your Word, have a love for your Word, And that Holy Spirit, You would help us to put it into practice because we realise there's much of Your Word that we find hard to do. And so help us, Holy Spirit, put this into practice in Jesus' Name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Five things very quickly. Number one is this, when it comes to dealing with difficult people, number one is don't act on your anger. The Bible says it this way, in your anger, do not sin, which is good news because it tells us that anger in and of itself is not a sin. Whew. Whew, give yourselves a break. I mean, just, just let that sit in for a minute. That's telling us that anger is not a sin. Yeah. We all get angry from time to time and anger in and of itself is not the problem. The problem comes when we act out or act on yeah. what we're angry about. Yeah. Point in case, Will Smith. If only he just stayed in his seat. But what about for us? We get angry and if only we kept our mouth shut. If only I never threw that plate. People ask me often, do I believe in extra life? And do I believe in flying saucers? I said, yeah, I believe in flying saucers. When I was a kid, I saw flying saucers being thrown across the kitchen. It's just like... (laughs) Don't act on your anger, 
Be controlled. And the Bible says it this way, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, the day of your hurt should also be the day of your healing. The day of your hurt should be the day of your healing. Can you imagine what your home would look like? Can you imagine what this church would look like? Can you imagine what your place of employment would look like or the school or the university that you attend would look like if we owned and apologised our mistakes on the day we were offended? Can you imagine what life could look like if we just acted on our offence on the day that we were offended? and didn't live with it for a day, a week, a month, a year, or a decade, or even longer. I I realise that what I'm asking of you, and more importantly, what the Bible is asking of us, is not easy to do. And I know for Kath and I, this is a big one, because I knew that being married meant that there'd be moments that get the better of me. And she knew that there'd be moments that get the better of her. And when you add kids to that, and when you add pressure to that, there are definite moments And so I would say, make your decisions in the cool light of day, how you want to respond in the heat of battle. So that the heat of battle doesn't get on top of you or doesn't get the better of you. And so Kath and I have had a, a, a thing in place that we will not go to bed while we are angry. And I gotta be honest with you, sometimes we go to bed very late certain nights. But it's far better to sort it out than to wake up in the morning, to carry it into the next day, to carry it into the next day, to carry it into the next day. And the reason I feel that this is a big one is because there's no win in being offended. There's no win in holding on to anger. I just said it a long time ago. I would rather lose than win and hold on to my anger and my offence. There's no win in it. It doesn't bring me closer to God and it doesn't bring me closer to people. I don't get closer to my wife when I hold on to my offence. She doesn't get closer to me when she holds on to her offence. Write that down, baby. Just write that down. Yep, there we go. Fantastic. This marriage counselling is happening right now. It's awesome. So make your decisions in the cool light of day that we are not going to go to bed angry. We realise that offence, there is no winners. That offence doesn't get me closer to God and it doesn't build our relationships. So don't act on your anger, number one. Secondly, don't give the enemy room to move. The Bible says that if you hold on to your anger, you are giving the devil a foothold. And when I think of a foothold, I think of Nathaniel doing rock climbing and looking for a place to put his foot, that that little foothold. That's not what this is talking about. The word is topos and it means to give a place or to make a room for. And so what the Bible is telling us is that when we are angry, you're giving the devil a place in your heart. When you are angry, you're giving the devil room to move in your life. And again, with all due respect to the mental health issues that are happening and and all the things that are being diagnosed, particularly amongst our younger generation, and I'm not here to talk against that. I'm not here to say, get off your medication. What I'm trying to say is, when we have a place in our heart that is reserved for the enemy, it just makes life so much more difficult. And some of the other issues that we are facing, so much harder to face. We're not only facing mental issues, we're facing mental health issues with 
the devil being in in our heart. And it just makes it more difficult. And I wanna say, let's not give the enemy any room to move. Because this is what I know, when you are angry with someone, everything they do is offensive. Have you noticed that? When you're actually angry and you haven't said it, everything they do is, oh, look at the way he eats that orange, thinks he owns the world. (laughs) He's just eating an orange. Have you noticed that? Everything they do is wrong when you're offended and you're angry with someone. And it's like they no longer stand a chance. Why? Because we've given the enemy a place in our heart. Not every thought you have is your own thought. You know that. God gives us God-inspired thoughts, which are far too brilliant for us to think of in ourselves. But the devil will put evil thoughts, horrible thoughts, which are far too evil for us to think of ourselves and think about people in a certain way. And so I wanna encourage you not to do that. When I talk about fighting the enemy, I don't know that we're necessarily fighting the devil himself. I think we're more fighting the schemes that he has set up. He has set up schemes. We know that he wants to kill, steal and destroy. Every marriage he wants to kill, steal and destroy. Every relationship he wants to kill, steal and destroy. Every church he wants to kill, steal and destroy. He has schemes. And some of the things I think he does really well because he's been doing it for a long time, is he divides. He wants to divide your family, your friends. He wants to divide people in this church. And so we come up with new notions. You don't have to go to church anymore. That's a devil-inspired thought that you don't have to gather together. The Bible clearly tells us that we need to gather together. And we've got Christians who are saying we don't need to. I tell you, that's because we've given room for the enemy to move and think differently than what we used to think when we were fresh, new, brand new Christians and also what the Word of God says. That's a strategy of the enemy to divide us. He knows that we are weaker when we are divided. So the next time you're arguing with someone in your family or your friends or the church, just remember there's something bigger taking place than just who's right and who's wrong. And he said this and they said that. And here's another thing. He wants to divide. He also wants to distract. He wants you to take up things that are of lesser importance, not necessarily bad things. The devil's main strategy is not to make us bad, but to make us busy. You ask most guys, and maybe you did this this morning, hey, how was your week? Oh yeah, busy. And it's a strategy of the enemy to make us so busy with lesser things that we don't engage the ways of God the way God intended us to. Another great strategy of the enemy is to discredit. He wants to discredit your testimony. The early church overcame the enemy through the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. But if he can weaken your testimony then He gets ground in our lives. And so when we do things that the Bible says not to do or embrace things the Bible says not to embrace, it weakens our testimony and we give the enemy a foothold in our lives. The third thought this morning is simply this, don't badmouth people. The Bible says it this way, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, malice, It doesn't say be arrogant about your social superiority. It doesn't say be critical of everyone who thinks differently than you. It doesn't doesn't say be harsh 
when you are dealing with idiots. I, I wish it did. I wish I had a chance of just putting a few little changes to the Word of God. But it doesn't say those things. It says get rid of. Which means we have a choice. Which is good news. Because we don't have to be victims of our circumstance. We have a choice. And when it comes to our relationships and people that we're dealing with in our lives, can I just make quick six suggestions when it comes to relationships and dealing with people, particularly difficult ones? First one is this, I would say, never resort to name calling. Names are important. As, as Christians, one of the things that upsets me when Jesus' name is used in a derogatory way is we're, we're lessening who He is. Anyone wants to lessen that name, the power of that name. And when we can call each other names, we are lessening who God has called us to be. Secondly, and this is a big one for me, never raise your voice. I wish I'd, I'd love to say I've, I've never broken this one, but never raise your voice. It doesn't create for peace in the home. Thirdly, never get historical. I didn't say hysterical, although that wouldn't help either, but historical. In other words, I remember, and we just hold on to this one thing that you did. Don't get historical in an argument. Number four, never say never or always. You never do this. You always do that. In actual fact, if there's an element of truth to that, that's to your advantage. If someone never does something or always does something, actually that puts you in a place of understanding and power to be able to speak into a situation and circumstance. Number five, never threaten divorce for those who are married in this place. Kath and I have never threatened divorce. We have threatened murder, but never divorce. And the last one is never quote your pastor during a fight. <laughs> I want to don't bring me into it. Don't just just leave me out of it. Bring Pastor Danny in, but just just not me. <laughs> is this helpful? Yeah. Number four, don't stop doing good. Yeah. Build one another up. Encourage them. It says in verse twenty nine. It says be kind, be compassionate. Be forgiving. Again, all these things are easier said than done. That's why we need the power of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, to help us put the Word of God into practice. Practically, how can we do this? What does kindness and compassion look like? To me, it always looks like up close and personal. For these things to work, it requires proximity. It's easy to shout the truth from a distance. Yeah. It's easy to get a group of people with your placards. I don't know that that's what God had in mind when He said, be compassionate. Be kind. Yeah. Be forgiving. I don't see God's intent behind these words as something that takes place from a distance. It requires proximity. It requires time. It requires effort. And it requires up close and personal.
Herein lies the problem. When you're up close and personal, that's the only way you can fix the problem, but it's up close and personal that creates the problem. But that's the way God intends it to be. And so if you're in a close relationship, if you're in a marriage, you've got a family, understand that closeness is gonna be part of the problem, but it's that closeness that's gonna fix the problem. What the enemy wants to do is use that closeness against you and then bring division and separation. So I wanna encourage you to stay close, keep talking, be kind, encourage one another. When's the last time, when's the last time you listened to someone who had a differing opinion to you? When's the last time you sat down? I'm not talking about just blog. I'm not talking about just a, a quick response to someone who has a differing opinion. I'm talking about sit down and try and get into their shoes. Had a young man came to see me just over a year ago and he'd been in church for many years, but he was in a place in his life where he was questioning what he believed. And I think he was trying to be as honest as he could. I think he was trying to be as raw as he could. I think he was also trying to bring a bit of a shock factor to me as a pastor. I think he was testing me to see how I would respond. And I'll never forget sitting there thinking, I could respond in a thousand different ways right now. And I remember praying this prayer under my breath, Holy Spirit, what would be the best response to a young man right now? And what came out of my mouth just started a a journey and a relationship, a friendship. And I just said, you know what? It, It sounds to me like you need a safe place just to wrestle with God. And over 12 months later, we've become good friends to each other's company. I think he's in a different place, a better place. But I think I am too. I think by doing that journey with him has helped me. It's helped me be a better person and a better pastor. When's the last time you got in someone's shoes and not just got in their face? You know, with the bills being changed in America about the abortion, some people say, why are you so quiet about that? You know, obviously, I I love the thought of new life. We've got three kids and and, and those, those were special days seeing our three kids being born. I'm so grateful that I was there seeing our three kids being born. And I'm mindful there are people who who are unable to have kids. And then I'm mindful there are those who don't want kids but got themselves pregnant. And I'm not here to make a political stand today. But I don't think God gets much glory or I don't think our placards making our point that we are pro-life really suggests that's how God wants it done. I think we have an opportunity in this broken, hurting world that's not working as God intended it to, to get in people's shoes and to honour God's truth and honour His Word, but in a better way. And I think that's a challenge for us as a church. How do we honour truth, but do it in a God-honouring way? That's my challenge. And it's a challenge as a church. I want you to come on with me as we seek to honour God's Word, but do it in a God-honouring way. Honouring God's Word is easy. But honouring God's Word, God's way, that's tricky. Because when I see Jesus 
come up with this brilliant strategy when that woman was brought to him in the act of adultery. I mean, it's pretty clear cut according to the word. I know what I'm going to do. I'm ready with my stones. And Jesus brings God's way to the situation. God's word is wonderful, but we need God's ways attached to how we implement his word. Are you with me? And number four, this is where it gets up close and personal. Number, sorry, number five is this. Don't assume that everyone else is the problem. I may offend some of you right now, but don't assume that everyone else is the problem. What I know about human nature is this, that we tend to defend our anger. We justify it, as I said last week, as righteous anger. But the reality is it's more self-righteous anger than it is a righteous anger. We judge our actions by our intentions. But we judge others' actions by their motives. We know this is what they did and this is why they did it. How many of you have found yourself doing that? I know what you did and I know why you did it. Have I spent any time getting to know the person? No. Have I spent any time trying to understand why it happened? No. We just already know. We've judged what they did and why they did it. In other words, we are good lawyers for our own mistakes, but we're even better judges when it comes to other people's mistakes. Psychologists call it fundamental attribution error. And this is an error that is a bias to assume a person's actions depend on their character rather than on their environment. A classic example of this would be when someone cuts you off when you're driving your car. And because of what they did, because of their actions, we are now going to judge their character. You idiot! You're blind! Where'd you get your licence? I've had a lot of practice at this. (laughs) Only to drive a little bit further down the road. And you see, there was an accident that they were swerving to avoid. We judge their actions, but worse than that, we judge their character and their motives. An offence sets in. And we don't spend the time that is necessary unpacking why something happened. We just know that it did happen and it shouldn't happen. Conversely, when we swerve, We have our reasons. When we just swerve and change lanes, we have our reason. But we don't seem to extend the same grace to people. If we're going to live unoffended, if we're going to get over our present offences, we're going to have to change our approach. Because I believe the reality is there's a little bit of self-righteousness in all of us. And the problem is we don't often see it. And I wanna invite you today to pray a dangerous prayer. And it's a prayer of mine. It's a go-to verse of mine that I meditate upon think about and pray out aloud pretty much on a daily basis. 
Because I realise in my life and in my role and in my job description, every day is an opportunity to get offended, be offended and offend others. And one of the things that has been a sanity to me, one of the passages of Scripture that has been soul food, spirit food in helping me with my own offence and when I've offended others is found in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 was written by a man by the name of David. And David learned some lessons the hard way. What I love about David is not some of his actions, so much of his responses to those actions. What do you do when you commit adultery? What do you do when you put one of your best mates in the firing line to be killed? David did all of that. And yet he was known as a king and a man after God's own heart. How does a murdering adulterer become a man after God's own heart? It's because of this prayer that I'm about to read that I think David lived in. And it's been a prayer that's helped me and I trust will help you. Psalm 139 verse 23 says, Search me which is a far cry from how we normally pray, God, get them. We need to reverse our praying. It's a dangerous prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart, He says. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I'm not anxious, I'm a Christian. Christians don't believe in anxiety. No, God, You know my heart. Where am I anxious? Where am I worried? Where am I angry? Where am I dark? What am I hiding? What mask am I wearing? To see if there is any offensive way in me. In other words, stop being the judge. Let Him be the judge. Let Him speak to us. I'm not offended. Anyone who says, I'm not offended, that response tells me all is not well. For you to be that defensive, even if you're not offended, you're very defensive. Would that be fair to say? Would it be fair to say when you say, I'm not offended, bare minimum from that response, we can tell and glean this. You are very defensive. Which begs the question, why are you being so defensive? Is it because you are offended? And while I consider it a privilege and a joy to be involved in people's lives and helping them unpack stuff, we would have a lot happier pastors and a lot less tired pastors if people did this for themselves. Connect groups and connect group leaders would be a lot happier and a lot less worn out if we took on the responsibility of praying this prayer for ourselves. It's great when we have a breakthrough through a pastoral visit. It's great when we have a breakthrough through a connect group. But man, how much more powerful when you get a breakthrough on your own because we just find the courage to pray these 
dangerous prayers. Will you stand with me this morning? This particular subject is one of the greatest strategies and one of the greatest schemes of the enemy to keep you offended, to keep you angry, to keep you bitter, to keep you hurt. That's his strategy. And when we take the bait, no one wins. You will not get better if you hold on to your offence. You will get bitter. You will not get better if you hold on to your anger. You will get bitter. I'm not here to bring condemnation if you've had an angry week. I'm not here to bring condemnation if you are indeed offended. If you came to church today with an offence, that's not the problem. The problem is, what are we going to do with that? In this moment, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to leave with that offence or are we going to lay it down at the feet of Jesus? And for everyone who does that, for everyone who finds the courage to do that, you're going to leave better. And for those who hold on to it and nurse it and rehearse it, you will leave more bitter than you came. But there is an invitation. And it's not for me so much as it is from Jesus. Come to me, He says. All you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, all you who are offended, all you who are angry, all you who are bitter, come. Don't hide your sin, bring it to me. Don't hide your offence, bring it to me. Take off your mask, take down the walls. Let's get close again. There's an invitation from Jesus every day of our lives. And I want to encourage us as a church to grow up, mature and take advantage of that daily invitation to come to Him. And so right across this place, let's just close our eyes. And I'd love if you just repeat this prayer after me. We, it's a dangerous prayer. I can't make you pray it. But if you're serious about dealing with offence in your life, then pray this along with me. Jesus, I thank You for dying for me. I pray that You would show me where I am judgmental, where I am critical, where I am cynical, where I am offended. Help me get rid of all malice, rage and anger. Help me to be kind, compassionate and forgiving. Holy Spirit, we just thank You for the work that You do in our lives to help us to put into practice this prayer. Holy Spirit, we welcome You into this place to do what it is that only You can do. Help us to be more compassionate. Help us to be kinder. Help us to be more forgiving.
and help us to overcome the areas of offence in our lives. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.